Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we are talking about Minute 93, which begins with the list for the stunt team, and it ends with special thanks and the proper end of the movie. We are in the very last minute. So if there's anything we've forgotten to say, now is the time to say it because it is literally the last minute. The last minute. Okay, that puts a lot of pressure on this conversation that we're going to have. It's, it's it. It's the last time we get to talk about Mad Max. Yeah. Next, The next time we visit Mad Max, we need to focus on the new adventure. Yeah. It's, you know, no looking back at, at this story. It's time to move forward with the next story. Yeah. Like, this is these are the last parting moments that we get this with this movie. Unfortunately, they're all just credits. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Now, like Julia said off microphone just now, this is not to discount the numerous hours and efforts that were put into the movie by these people. Now, I mentioned yesterday that Minute 92 ends with the list for wardrobe and props and mechanics and all that stuff. We didn't actually talk about that because it rolls over from 92 into 93. So that's kind of the first title card we see in Minute 93. Um, Wardrobe was done by uh, Marin Kingsford Smith. Props was done by Richard Francis. Traffic supervisors were Andrew Jones and Stuart Beatty. One of those guys was pretending to be a dead body in the truck scene. Or the ute scene, I should say. I'm forgetting my slang already. (laughs) The mechanics for the movie were Clive Rowell, Robert Orchard, and Murray Smith. The truck coordinator was Stephen O'Hare. They say truck coordinator. He was either the guy who took care of the boom truck that they loaded the camera on, or he was the one that gave flats a beer to all of the pickup trucks and <laughs> huh. 18 wheelers and whatnot. Cause he was coordinating the trucks. <laughs> huh. Interesting. So the next page after that is of course the stunt team, which are the real heavy hitters of this movie. You've got Grant page right up there at the top. He's the, the main guy there, the stunt coordinator. You've also got Chris Anderson, Phil Brock, Dale Bench, Jerry Gosla, who was the guy that did Goose's big jump at the end of his long ride. He's the one that had the Guinness Book of World Records set for longest airtime, I think it is, for stunts. Uh, Then we got Terry Gibson, George Novak, Michael Daniels, and David Brox. So George Novak, who we know as one of the MFP officers, Scuttle, I want to say, and David Brox was, of course, Mudguts, who oh, okay, we had an okay. amazing time watching him yes. do all sorts of acrobatics. They Just an amazing team that they got put together. Next tile after that, we get the laboratory consultant, Bill Gooley, negative cutter, Margaret Cardin, post-production sound, Roger Savage, sound effects done by Ned Dawson, photographic process by Todd, AO35, titles by Bill Owen, and then we get the all-important little fine print that says that the characters in this film are fictional and any resemblance to any actual person living or dead is purely coincidental. (laughs) Then after that, we see the financial consultant, Noel Harmon. Nick Gazzana did the cabaret music. The vehicle designer was Ray Beckerly. Motorcycle fairings were provided by La Parisienne Engineering. 
The electronics were done by Lex Glauchewera. I hope I said that right. Then we get more fine print about how Mad Max is an original story by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and produced in Victoria. And then we get four pages of special thanks, including Kawasaki Motors and Nissan Motor Company, uh, Ben Taylor Hair Workshop, Knight's Transport, Myers Transport, Pike's Transport, the we get special thanks for bf goodrich windscreens o'brien dunlop so you had a nice set of lops in the back that we could sell you for a good price a special thanks to the westgate bridge authority for not having them all arrested <laughs> town auto wholesaler cs communications kodak all sorts of places and the special thanks kind of wraps up the credits and we dip to black okay i wanted to make sure everyone got their 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 due mention <laughs> I think they got their due mention with the credits. <laughs> so there's one category of character that we haven't analyzed yet, and that's the antagonist. Right. Because we've been going through and really diving deep into more or less essay questions at the end of this movie. Yeah. Monday we talked about Max. Yesterday we talked about Jesse and Goose. And today I want to get us talking about Toe Cutter. My main question is how was Toe Cutter as an antagonist for Max? And the other question is could he also be considered a rival to Max? And I ask that question because usually you look at a movie and you have the hero character on one side. You've got Luke Skywalker standing at one end of the hallway. And you've got Darth Vader at the other end. You've got hero and villain, and they are opposed to each other. They are rivals. One is going to defeat the other. And in this movie, you've got Max on one side, and you've got the Toe Cutter on the other. And my initial answer is that Toe Cutter is not really an antagonist for Max specifically. I feel like the Toe Cutter is an antagonist for the police. And the fact that Max is a policeman, you know, that's what drives them together. And that if Toe Cutter never ran into Jesse, that Max and Toe Cutter would never have collided the way they did. I agree. I think it was by pure chance that Toe Cutter got his revenge upon Max through Jesse. It was just a coincidence. The way that Toe Cutter views the cops, I think, is faceless. He doesn't care about specific cops. He cares about them as a whole. Mm -hmm. The only reason that he specifically killed Goose was because Johnny had a specific beef with Goose. Yeah. It was for Johnny's sake that he that Goose was chosen to die as Johnny's initiation. Other than that, they are just out to cause trouble. And if it happened to be towards a cop, bonus. Yeah. I really see Toe Cutter as an agent of chaos, which is why when we were talking about the alignment chart the other day, I kind of ranked him as a chaotic evil. He is just out and about in the world wreaking havoc amongst the populace because that's just what he likes to do. That's just how he operates. And, you know, he has a deep-seated dislike even hatred for the police because they represent order. He is so devoted to chaos that anyone that represents that idea of law and stability, he wants to tear that down. And so I feel like as an antagonist for Max, he's not a very good one. But as an antagonist for everything that Max stands for, he's a great bad guy. Yes. As the main bad guy, as protagonist versus antagonist, they don't really interact ever. I see. Until the very last scene where Max 
has a hand in Toka's death. Is that the first time that they have interacted? Yeah, when... From the point of the trap... Yeah, when Max springs Toe Cutter and Bubba's trap, that is the first time that Toe Cutter and Max actually meet face to face. And they never actually interact with each other. No. Aside from Toe Cutter hissing at Max. Right. Like... That's a very odd relationship between protagonist and antagonist. Yeah. To the Toe Cutter, Max is just another cop. Yeah. No more important or significant than Goose or Fifi or Sarson Scuttle or Rupin Charlie. He's just a badge. Yes. Just one of the bronze. I think there's an overall theme of simply lawful versus chaotic. Yeah. And and that's where Toe Cutter functions. A lot of these smaller, more personal themes about loss and grief and madness don't necessarily involve Toe Cutter. He, he dips into it. He causes some things along the way, but he's not part of it. Mm-hmm. These themes that speak to us more on a personal level don't really have a lot to do with Toe Cutter. But these, oh, but he's part of the overall theme. A very important part of the overall theme. Yeah. I can appreciate that we have this just bewitchingly charismatic force for evil that continues throughout the entire movie. Because when you think about it, all of the bad things that happen to Max could be caused by different people. The, the gang that kills Goose doesn't necessarily have to be the same gang no. That takes out Jesse. No, not at all. It's it's a mind-blowing coincidence that the same gang is involved in all of these tragedies. At no point do they connect except to Max. Right. And like I said, Hugh Key's burn was just an amazing choice for this gang leader. And I think he just adds so much to the character. Toe Cutter could have been so boring. Yeah. Handled by someone else. <laughs> <laughs> toe cutter's part in this movie is like all personality yes okay so he's running this gang and this gang just happens to be causing a lot of problems for this one particular man but hugh keys burn actually gets us to enjoy the gang yeah like these are horrible people they really are bad bad people we should never be rooting for them but every time he's on screen yeah he's just phenomenal and we love watching him and and even Bubba Zanetti we he's he Bubba Zanetti might be my favorite character I say he is Bubba Zanetti is kind of like a shark he's very cold and slick exterior and for the most part he just kind of swims around quietly right but he's just like you know you almost want to devote an entire week right to Bubba Zanetti yeah just he, because he he's has so a, cool he has a reputation of violence and deadliness but we don't actually really ever see that. Yeah. The only time we see him act violently is when he runs over Max. It's the only bit of violence we see from him in the entire movie. So I like your shark comparison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you asked if he makes a good rival. Like, yeah, could he be considered Max? a rival? And I would say no. No, no. Not at all. You know, when you first posed the question, I didn't really understand what you meant. But now that we've been talking about him, I think it's very clear to me that he is not. He just happens to be in the same realm of existence as Max. Mm. And I, that's pretty much as far as it goes. That's one thing that I find interesting about the main antagonist in Mad Max movies. You've got Toe Cutter here. We're going to have the Lord Humongous in Road Warrior. And then we have a Morton Joe 
also played by Hugh Keysburn in <laughs> Fury Road. I don't want to speak to Auntie Entity because we haven't, we're not going to get to her for a while and it's actually been a while since I last watched Thunderdome. So that will change for sure the closer we get to Thunderdome. But in a lot of these stories, the big bad of the movie isn't staring down Max and swearing vengeance and fire and brimstone upon Max specifically. A lot of the times, Max is just caught in the crossfire. Yeah, it it puts me in mind of the other day we watched Guardians of the Galaxy. So Drax lost his wife and child, parallel to Max, and he wants to exact vengeance on Ronan, who directly did it he physically murdered his wife and child so drax wants to exact vengeance and he wants it to be personal he wants ronin to know who is killing him and why he's doing it and ronin taunts him by saying i don't remember what you're talking about and it kills drax that something so important to him is so unimportant to the person that caused that horrible thing to happen every time i see that scene it reminds me of another scene from (laughs) street fighter when i watched street fighter last time did i force you to watch it with me uh i don't know maybe if you tell me a little bit about it so let me paint a picture for you it's a van damme movie right it is a van damme movie is it the one about the the secret fights uh no it's not it's not Bloodsport. okay Bloodsport is an amazing movie Yeah, we watched Bloodsport, I think. Anyway, so (laughs) let me paint a picture for you. We are in the the pleasure suite of a maniacal world leader named M. Bison, played by Raul Julia. And he has captured Chinese journalist Chun-Li, played by Ming-Na Wen. And she is there to kill M. Bison because he came to her village and murdered her family. And so she is there. She has infiltrated his secret lair and she's been captured and brought to his pleasure room so that he can do what he wants with her. But she confronts him and he looks at her and he says, the most important day in your life was the day that I graced your village with my presence. But for me, it was a Tuesday. And it is just an amazing line delivery. Like, the Street Fighter movie is not good by conventional wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) It is not what you would call a well-respected, renowned movie. But Raul Julia's performance as M. Bison in that movie is priceless. It's also one of the last roles that he played before his untimely death. And... Every time I think of that scene with Drax and Ronan, I think, obviously, of M. Bison and Chun-Li in that movie. And it really illustrates that idea of the antagonist of the movie just going about their business, being evil and wreaking havoc. And suddenly someone comes up with a vendetta against them, and they really don't know what's going on. And it's the exact same type of thing with Max and the Toe Cutter. Max is hunting Toe Cutter because Toe Cutter ran over his wife and child. And for Toe Cutter, that was just a lark. Right. That was just a fun day for them. And that is that is heartbreaking. Especially as it's so personal. It's his wife and child. And yeah. it's the day that ruined the rest of his life. It's the day that drove him mad. Yeah. And to Toe Cutter and the gang... It's it's the incident that 
that Kundalini got his hand ripped off. Like, that's the interesting part of it. Not that they killed somebody, yeah. but that Kundalini lost his hand and he would like it back. Yeah. I mean, feel terrible making this pun, but, you know, for them, it was just <laughs> no, you... a speed bump on the way to the next thing that they were going to do. Wow. You do not feel terrible. I can see the delight in your face. You yeah, but the fun. listeners can't. Thanks for outing me. <laughs> so I think the long and the short of it is, Toe Cutter is delightful. He adds a lot to this movie. He's a great evil character, but he's not specifically Max's rival. He's not there to taunt Max and berate him and whatnot. Toe Cutter is no Darth Vader to Max's Luke Skywalker. No. That's, and that, that's what really I'm trying to drive at. That makes me wonder, okay, well, who is Max's rival? And I think he is his own rival. His madness is from within. Yeah. It's his madness. He goes mad because he can't handle. He emotionally cannot handle what has happened to him. Yeah. Max's big obstacle is overcoming his grief to retain the values that he has lived by all yes. his life. And and he doesn't. He no, fails. he doesn't. And I'm thinking about the struggle, the scene on the beach in his on his thinking bench. He's got the goofy mask in his hand and he is struggling with handling grief and what he's going to do next and you can see him falling apart from the inside and he he wants to tear this mask apart Mm -hmm. and and i'm kind of surprised that he doesn't because he is breaking he is falling to pieces he is going mad yeah and all he wants to do is take that inner madness and expel it outwards into the world. And he he stands up, he runs back to the house, and he prepares himself. That's exactly what he's gonna do. Yep. Yeah. So sure. I think he is his own he is his own antagonist. I like that. Now, speaking of protagonists and antagonists and just characters in general, I want to talk a little bit about Johnny the Boy. Now I oh. have said multiple times <laughs> I don't like Johnny the Boy, so I'm gonna try and be objective with this one. Because yeah. yes. I've got a few questions about him. The first being, does Johnny the Boy have a character arc? And secondly being, could he also be considered a main character in this movie? Now, Johnny's story really exists kind of in parallel to the rest of the movie. It intersects at one specific point. But for the most part, Max and Johnny stay pretty separate. With Like, like I said, with the exception of that one time he was arrested. So, looking at Johnny at the beginning of the movie... Versus Johnny at the end of the movie. He starts off when we first see him in Clunes. He is just a member of the gang. He is Toe Cutter's squire. Yep. He is uninitiated. Yep. He doesn't have the tattoo yet. So he has not been fully vetted. He follows the rest of the lieutenants out after the Chevy. They destroy the Chevy. He rapes the girl in the Chevy. And stays behind in a drugged out stupor. He's picked up by Max and Goose, brought back to the station, held for a few days, and then released because the police don't have a case against him. Bubba picks him up. They go back to the beach, talk about taking out the bronze, and Johnny says, if you want to take him out, you got to do it big. So now it's Johnny sabotaging Goose's motorcycle, throwing the brake drum into Goose's ute and causing it to go off the road and then ultimately being wrestled into lighting goose on fire we don't see a lot of johnny again until the gang shows up at the beach with running into jesse so johnny is there when they're antagonizing her in the woods and at the farm he's there when jesse is killed and he's utilized a lot 
in the trap that forces Max to confront the toe cutter. And then at the end, he's just kind of off on his own. Well, when you put it like that, I would say, answering your second question first, I would say he could be counted as a main character. Like, there's enough that happens he's... to him that we see. Yes. Now, does he have a character arc? Um, I, I would say no. I, I think the only change in him is we do see his initiation, which we notice later he has the tattoo. Yeah. Um, and not really a big deal is made about that. Nobody ever says or makes it clear that, hey, you're one of us now. Yeah. It's only that we happen to notice the tattoo that we wouldn't even have noticed if Max hadn't grilled the grease monkey about the tattoo. Yeah. We never would have noticed the tattoos. So as far as a character arc, I really don't think that's enough. Yeah, because I don't feel that he's different at the end. No, he didn't change. He didn't even want to kill Goose. Well, no, he wanted to kill Goose. He didn't have the stomach for it. Yeah. So that wasn't even like a change in him. It's not like he found something within himself to actually carry out the violence that he professed to want to do. As far as... Calling him a main character. I mean, obviously, he's one of the primary six listed on that first title card. Yeah. Like, he is a main character, but, like, would he qualify as, like, a maxed level? I would say he qualifies as a goose level main character. Not really in the forefront, more in the tertiary. Right. Because I'm trying to think do we, is he ever our POV character? We are. I think maybe. After he, after Bubba gets him from the MFP and they go back to the beach, I kind of feel like he's our POV character there. Mm-hmm. And then, so they have the scene with the mannequin. He says, you know, go big or go home. And then Toe Cutter drags him to the side to have a conversation about shutting up. Yeah. I kind of feel like he is our POV character in that scene. Yeah. Much more than Toe Cutter ever is. That's for sure. Yeah. I don't think Toe Cutter is really ever our POV character. I feel like Johnny is kind of are in for the gang. Yeah. And because he is kind of a newcomer. Yes. And sometimes it's Bubba, but I think that's kind of for lack of Johnny. Yeah. I feel like you could you could almost make a movie out of Johnny's story. Like you could make a parallel movie, kind of like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead style movie yes. specifically following Johnny. Yes. We would certainly need a lot more information. I don't think there's enough information there. Mm-hmm. To make a compelling story because there is a minimal arc. Yeah. We would need to we would need to start way beforehand. Yeah. And see how he joined the gang. And then we would also need to see that that span of time between the trap and the Ute scene where yeah. Johnny dies. We would need to see in between there. I think it would actually be really interesting to see Johnny and how he reacts to realizing that his gang, his support system, that he has put everything into, is gone. I imagine... And that would be fascinating, I think. I imagine that a Johnny the Boy movie would probably start about the time that Knight Rider dies. And I kind of can imagine Johnny, you know, seeing on the news that the Knight Rider has died, and then maybe, like, Toe Cutter and his gang are in his town, and so he approaches them to try and join the gang. And so Toe Cutter basically says, all right... Follow me around, be my squire, straighten my hair, you know, be my Right, and we'll my see slave. how you do. We'll see how it goes. And so then Johnny, young and impertinent, w- willing to just go all out to prove himself to these people, 
follows them around and then we see them go to clunes we see them wreaking trouble we see him doing all of these things to impress the other gang members and we'll probably get more time with him in custody get more time with him and Bubba interacting with each other, being very antagonistic between each other. Mm-hmm. But yeah. those times where, you know, after Goose dies and after Toe Cutter is killed, like seeing all of those times with Johnny that we don't get to see in this movie would be incredibly interesting. I think so. Absolutely. That being said, I still don't like Johnny. No, no. <laughs> Tim Burns does a really good job of making you not like his character just by his performance. I kind of see it in the same vein as the kid who played King Joffrey in Game of Thrones. Oh, I like that comparison. Yeah. Jack Gleason played Joffrey Baratheon in Game of Thrones. And he, for the 26 episodes that he was in the show, almost a full three seasons, he made people hate him so well. <laughs> yes, it, it's an acting skill to to make people love you. It's also an acting skill to make people hate you. Yeah, absolutely. And he so well. And I feel like Tim Burns was able to kind of do that to just play a character that was just so eager and annoying and loud and just frustrating for an audience to watch. Right. He was just as, and even maybe not as, evil as toe cutter and bubba but they had charisma on their side johnny does not johnny is too young and naive to have any charisma whatsoever he's too eager to follow along with the pack and impress the terrible people that he's surrounded himself with and i think that's his major downfall as a character i feel like he I feel like he's an evil character purely because that's the side he chose. Mm-hmm. Not because he in his heart would rather do these things than than do good things. I think he would just rather hang out with those people than those people. Yeah. And they happen to be evil. So, okay, I'm going to go along. Because when push came to shove, he couldn't look Goose in the eye and murder him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think if he had happened to fall in with good people, then he just would have done whatever they were doing. He's easily influenced like that. So the long and the short of it, no, he doesn't have a character arc, but yes, he could definitely be a main character. He has potential for being more than he was. Yes. For sure. Yes. So now that we've talked about characters and gone through all of the credits and whatnot, on a whole, how do you feel about Mad Max having spent so much time talking about it? I love this movie. I have to admit, before we analyzed it, I didn't love this movie. I liked it fine. Um, There has been a couple times in the past where I couldn't get through it. But once I started paying very close attention and watching it chunked out into minutes, I love this movie. There is so much depth to it that I think a lot of people miss by skipping this movie and going straight for Road Warrior. And I'm sure that as we start analyzing Road Warrior, I'll be able to see why. I'll be able to see why people love that movie so much and why they tend to skip Mad Max. But I would say to anybody, don't skip Mad Max. Watch it. Because this process of analyzing minute by minute has only made me love this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, before going through and looking at this movie so quickly, I would never put this movie specifically 
at the top of my list for, you know, ranking the Mad Max movies as far as like how much I love them. And while I probably wouldn't throw this movie up at the absolute top of the list, I mean, I didn't hate it at all. I thoroughly enjoyed watching this movie. And I feel like it was because everybody involved in the movie was so genuine about it. They were so all in on this labor of love to make George Miller's story come alive. And it is so obvious to me as a viewer that there are all these people putting so much effort and heart into it. And it comes out of the screen and it touches me as a viewer. And you can't help but love this movie if you spend the time to really get to know it. There's so much in there that can just be skimmed over if you're not paying close enough attention to it. So many little details and things that just are spectacular to watch and really reward a careful eye. And I'm solidly in the same boat. I would say to anybody that wants to get into the Mad Max series of movies, don't skip this movie. Spend some time with it because this is where you get to fall in love with Max. None of the other movies are about Max. This one is. This is your chance to get to know the man that will become the Road Warrior, the man that will go beyond Thunderdome and, you know, risk his life on the Fury Road. This is the guy, and this is our chance to get to know him. And that's why I absolutely love Mad Max, the original from 1979. On that heartfelt note... <laughs> Before we get too sentimental, we are going to take about three months off. We are not going to be doing minute-by-minute breakdowns until Labor Day. That's when we're going to come back with Road Warrior. In the middle of that gap, <laughs> we are going to release a hiatus episode every Wednesday. Pretty much at the same release time we've been doing these episodes so far. So we're going to watch movies such as... Such as you know, Chain Reaction and Kangaroo and Quigley Down Under. Movies that are specifically related to this movie by actor. We've got movies like Allison's Birthday, which is a horror movie starring Joanne Samuel, or Red Hill, which is a fairly contemporary movie, but it stars Steve Bisley. So we're going to watch these, and we hope that you'll come back and listen to us talk about these movies. It's going to be a little bit different format, we're going to talk a little bit before watching the movie, and then we're going to watch the movie, and we're going to come back and give you our impressions of it. The episodes are going to be a little bit longer, since it's only going to be once a week, but you know it's going to be easier on us, so that way we don't have to work quite so hard to get these out. It's going to allow us to kind of catch our breath and really prepare for Road Warrior, so that way we can just devote all of our energy to the 95 minutes that make up that movie. Yes, I've heard other minute-by-minute minute podcasters, of which there are many, and if you like this format, definitely go check it out. There are so many movies. It's a, it's a wonderful community. I've heard other minute makers express the distortion of time that happens when you analyze a movie minute by minute. And I can totally speak to that. My sense of a proper feature length movie is completely skewed. <laughs> so I think it'll be a lot of fun going over an entire movie at one time in one sitting. Kind of reset our brains a little bit, uh, give us some some fresh eyes so that when we go to Road Warrior, we are fresh and enthusiastic 
and ready to dive into the warped world of Minute by Minute. Yep. All bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Yes. Uh, Speaking of other Minute by Minute podcasts, I want to give a special shout-out. It's early May when we record this. It's going to be early June by the time you actually hear this. But I want to give a special shout-out to The Princess Bride Minute, The Living Dead Minute, Minute of Darkness, and Spinal Tap Minute for being so gracious as to have us as guests on their podcasts. And so as just a final recommendation for other Minute by Minute podcasts, please go check them out because they were a delight to record with. You're going to have a ton of fun listening to them, as much as fun as you've had listening to us. And just go to moviesbyminutes.com. Find a movie that you're interested in and jump in. Even if they've recorded the entire movie, take a weekend, binge it. Might as well, right? Yep, it makes it's like um it's like a summer read. Mm-hmm. Just take a weekend, read a good book. You can take a weekend and listen to the entirety of a podcast. Yep. And if you feel so inclined, you can visit us at our website, which is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute, like us on Facebook, and join our listeners page, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, where we will be announcing what movie we are going to review for our first hiatus episode. Yep, so keep an eye there. Yep. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute, episode 93. We will not see you tomorrow. That's a little sad to say. Yep. We'll see you next week. Motorbikes and men, take me to the end of the dream.